Joining me now, my good friend, Ms. Barb Lamson. Barbara, you should see my living room. It looks like a greenhouse. Hey, congratulations. Mine does too. Oh, it does it? Yeah. It's yeah. got lights. It's got heat mats. It's got a mister. It's got it's got a fan and uh, uh, it's got a tarp that I put, put everything on. And I'm so glad my husband is tolerant. Oh, yes. Yes. People understand these things. But just think how healthy that air is in there with all these plants taking in carbon dioxide and giving off oxygen. You're that much healthier than you were before. Well, I hope so. I'm, I'm hoping to keep them alive. I've got about 25 coleus cuttings. Oh, wow. And they are looking good. I've had those in since the beginning of March. I've planted a bunch of alyssum seeds. They're all up. They, they like within a couple of days, boom. Yep. My impatience, they are slower to come up. And, and they were pelleted. The thing I liked about that pelleted because sometimes those seeds are so tiny barb they are they're like smaller than a fleck of pepper and so some of them it says this package contains 20 seeds and i thought 20 seeds how do you count (laughs) so i mean literally i took a um i've got like a a pick thing that i use for my teeth and it's got such a fine little little end and i took and i would wet the end and then i take the seed and then put it it's because it's so fine yes you know it's interesting but i have this mixed um planter it's one of those really big uh huge must be i don't know must be 18 inches across it's a conference is it a round one you mean or diameter yeah it's round. okay yeah i have and, and i have a stand that that i bought just for that and in there i actually have house plants and one year i decided to put um, impatience. There was room for one impatient plant in there and uh, one uh, tuber begonia. So I did that. And then in the... More f- of a shade container, right? Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. And it was is cl- protected up by the house. And everything that was in there just grew and grew and grew. And wouldn't you know it, there was impatience that, that had gone to seed. And I'll see them when, they, when they're forming <laughs> that seed and they'll drop off. And I just thought, well... They'll never, ever grow on this. There's too much competition here. Yeah. But they found their place, and they did grow. And also... They come back then, year after year then? Yeah. yeah. Oh! So, yeah, so they do. So that's what I let them do. I In the winter then, this great big plant um, that's coming out all over, I cut that way back so that the house plants now can just get some sunlight in that. And this impatient, I don't care if it dies, it never does. It just gets more leaves on it. <laughs> wow. But it's already, you know, it's got its progeny in the soil there. Sure. And they, so now they're sprouting. And, and they're so easy to identify. They're, they're, they're that limey or green. Yep. And the leaves are, you can just tell right what it is. So that's a good thing. But here's the other thing that's been great about that. That um, tuber, tuber begonia, I leave that in the soil. Mm-hmm. It's across from where these impatiens are. And I just really stop watering it on that part of the planter. It must get some plant. And it goes really dormant. Mm-hmm. And then when I the sun comes in that south window it starts growing vigorously i start watering it again i have a bloom on that right now oh my goodness yeah well they 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 have a season and some plants have to be dormant a certain amount of time or they won't come back and bloom and that sort of thing and let me tell you i 
uh, let's see, was it February? I think I start. I put my elephant ears in pots because none of them had broken dormancy. Right. Oh, they're all up now, Barb. I'm so excited because I great. I think I've got more elephant ears because they get so big. I don't know what I'm going to do with them all, but I'm going to uh, be on this garden tour, and I thought they make a big statement. So hopefully y- I can yes, use those. Yes, absolutely, they do. Say, just changing the subject for a moment. Um, did my husband read this email from you correctly? Are you going to be the new director <laughs> of the State Lily Society? Yes, I am. I'm going, to, I'm going to be one of uh, Grant's uh, <clears throat> term expires soon. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to be a director on the, the North Star Lily board, yes. Oh, well, that's great. Well, congratulations. I'm also doing their publicity, and then I do that for the Hosta Society, too, which, you know, it's I love people that grow plants. They're just so, so welcoming and warm yes. and, and friendly and yes. and so it was oh so I should tell you this because we talked about this last week I did go to the hosta meeting this last Saturday and the topic was on jumping worms yes and yes you, oh you listen and you become so discouraged it was a, a woman from Rochester the Rochester area mm-hmm. yeah. and she talked about her experience with jumping worms and she knows probably where she got it from she bought a whole bunch of um, mulch and mulch is one of the uh, main ways that uh, these worms are transferred, are s- transferred. Um, and uh, you know, there's there's certain soils and things you can buy that have been heat treated, right? You know, in the bags and things. But if you're <clears> just getting it from an open area, right? Pro- and they say a lot of it comes from um, uh, community civic, uh, sure, uh, compost piles and things because they're not heat treated. And no. so if there's jumping rooms, they're going to go there. And they even talked about, like, when you have a garden tour, which I'm going to be doing this summer, is you should have people step in a, a, a liquid to disinfect their shoes because just walking in the garden, that you can <coughs> carry those little cocoons. And they showed pictures, and they're the size of, like, a peppercorn. And wow. the other thing is, anytime you have some lawn service come in, they could easily, on their tires, on any oh, of their wow. equipment bring in those cocoons and you'll never know so that's how it's spreading and they say it's probably in 30 percent of the counties now in minnesota <clears> and <throat> it's just devastating to the garden she said she had to give up on some hostas specifically the minis and the smalls sure because what these little uh jumping worms do is they're on they're kind of in the top layers of the soil yes but they love the little hairs on the roots of Things like hosta, for example, and other plants. So they eat the little hairs off. Well, that's how the plants are absorbing their nutrients and things. So if uh, she said, chances are the bigger and the giant hostas will make it, but they'll always be kind of stunted because they're never getting enough. How do you get rid of them? Well, that's the problem is you really can't. She says physical, picking them out when you see them is the best thing to do. Sure. But she says, it. you know, it's kind of like a Japanese beetle. You almost feel futile because, yeah, it's tough. So try not to bring in... Uh, you know, th- this is the thing I asked. I said, well, how about if you had your own tree on your property and you had them, you know, uh, chop it and make mulch? She goes, that might be a safer way than buying mm-hmm. mulch elsewhere and that sort of thing, or use your leaves from your own yard garden. Sure, sure. Um, but it, it's really discouraging because sometimes you need more than you, I guess, can can make on your own, for right, example. You right. know, I can make so much compost, but so, <clears throat> or you go to a, a source where you know that they heat the compost up to a right. certain uh, temperature that will... 180, I suppose. Yeah, that kills those. Yeah. So it's very, it, it's very discouraging in a way to hear about that. And there's some plants that are able to power through, like she said, her peonies don't really seem to be affected by them. But mm-hmm. these jumping worms, and 
are they're like more stiff. When you pick up like a earthworm, they're kind of squishy. Mm-hmm. And these are more stiff. And when you pick them up, they flop around like they're oh, wow. wild. Uh, well, it's yeah. everybody's worst dream and worst thought. You know, the other way. Uh, I do one way. Add one thing. The other way they're spread is through plant sales. Now we. Oh, yeah. This is the Hasa Society. I know our own garden society washes all the dirt off, right. throws it away, and you right. can't just wash it, like rinse it on your driveway, because then you could be rinsing those cocoons into your own. So it's really sure. a process. So then you have to repot it then if you're going to sell it or... Yeah, sterilize your Sterilize, pot. yep, yeah. everything. Yeah, So yeah. I just want to make sure people know that. So if you're sharing plants with the neighbor... Right. And you, if don't. you don't know, yeah, don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or ask well, how know, they've handled them. You yeah. know what's really sad? It's bad to get them in your gardens, but it's even worse when they take over in the forest. Yes, and, they and can wreck it. that's how we lose all our native wildflowers, because they just can't compete. They just don't come back. There's right. j- just no recovery time, because those jumping worms are just consistent in, in being there, so they don't get a reprieve. It doesn't seem like... Uh, uh, cold or heat kills them out there. You know, they, they they survive in that in that upper in the mulchy nice area. That's that's where they like to live up in that. Well, the area. cold kills the worms, <clears throat> but it doesn't kill the cocoons. Right, right. Yeah, that's exactly. the thing. So, so they're with us. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so many of these things that we have now that we're dealing with, um, they're not native. They're they, invasives. They, yeah, because they're, they're all, they've come from other countries, and that's you know. We, what we bring into this country has to be better inspected, and we have to be on this because just think, when you think of walking in the woods and those beautiful wildflowers and that, what if we didn't have those anymore? Can you imagine living without flowers? Oh, be terrible. So even if I go to your garden, I should probably scrape my shoes off, right. wash my, you know, it's one thing they said, you got to be really careful. And so if, when I have this tour, they, they said, you know, you might want to think about and wa- think about where, the, where's the bus going to park? Is it, you know, sure. you could especially, and work um, from con- uh, people who do lawn care and stuff. It can, they can get in the cracks between the, the tires and things like that. So sure. Well, could you give people plastic bags to put on I their shoes. Wondering. I was thinking about that little slippers or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know those things like they were in the hospital. Yeah, I was, was wondering about that. Yeah, I mean that's something that if um, the society is asking you to do a tour, they should furnish those. That would be a good idea. That's a good thing to bring up. Yeah. Yeah, bring that up. Hey, hey we got a question from a listener I want okay, to talk about. Let's do that. Okay, so question from a listener. It says, "I have converted a sandbox into a planter. Good Any idea. tips on what vegetables will grow in the soil two feet deep? Well, I want to commend you for doing a raised bed, yes. and I hope you did not just use soil from just around that you found around right. your yard. Right. I mean, the bottom part can be the soil from around the yard, but you really need to have a well draining uh, mixture, and you can yep. get you can actually buy raised bed potting soil, and it's a mixture of peat and uh, vermiculite and other things to make sure it's well-draining. So make sure you have that part done. Yes. Well, I I would say, too, um, if uh, using the sandbox, that's that's really great. And she said 18 inches. Two feet. 
two feet. Which is awesome. You, you know, actually, uh, most of our the things that we're going to plant are going to grow in the top eight inches. Yeah. So potatoes are going to be a little bit different than that. But uh, what I would do is I think I would start a compost pile, and I would plan to start making my own compost, and I would get that in there right away and start. You mean in the, the garden? In box? yeah, uh, no, in no, not in the garden box. A uh, separately. Oh, sure. Right, and and then start planning for what she wants to get in there and where she's going to locate it. It it's probably if it was a sandbox, it's probably in an area that was more shaded, even under a tree for the children. I would make sure that I move it out so it gets most of your vegetables and flowers too. They like a lot of sunlight, so I would I would consider the location. And I would drill holes in it so that water can drain out of it. And if you had treated wood, that is not a good thing to grow vegetables in. Sure. So, and it may have been treated wood. You, you know, she should check and see, did they build it themselves? Or um, how old is it anyway? Well, the thing is about what to plant, though. So, yeah, that those are good things to consider. But... What can you plant? Well, here we sure. go. I guess um, you can grow almost anything so in there. First, ask yourself, what do you eat? Yeah, that's that's right. What do the kids like to eat too? Ask them. You know, and sometimes picking a theme, uh, like we did in school, was uh, do you want to grow a pizza garden? Then do you want peppers? Do you want tomatoes? Um, do you want onions? Those kinds of things. Uh, let let your family. Uh, if if you've got children that can advise you, let them advise you and let them help you there. And, and Tony, you know, I don't know how big <laughs> exactly this is, but I, I do the square foot gardening method, and it's a really great method. So I do it so I plant um, something in each square foot that's different. So if it's not that big, you know, decide what do you really want, because some things... Sure. Uh, and as far as what you can grow in two-foot soil, almost anything, really. Right. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. You could I do mean, you, your carrots won't if you have the the properly draining, nice, not hard-packed soil. The carrots will be nice and straight, and they'll sure. have a lot of room to like grow. Like the nanties. And you know, even at that, if you if you don't if you're going to put in a raised bed, and it's not going to be that deep, you're going to be able to find um, fruits and vegetables that are designed for uh, a raised bed are designed to go in a pot so they don't have to be so deep like carrots radishes you can get the the smaller ones and they're really great too i would say think about uh, uh, getting some coal crops in first and then when those uh, are done you can have like your tomatoes can move over into that space i mean they're not, i don't mean literally taking them and moving them the tomato if it's if, it will fill in that space because they're getting bigger all the time. And maybe um, try to grow a variety that's not, doesn't continue to grow. So a determinate type, uh, like a celebrity, would be really good. And then be sure that you put supports in there right away. And if you've got two feet deep, we're talking two feet off the ground, the wind is going to be more of a factor. So yes. make sure those supports are extremely heavy because, you know, mine are, I think, um, 12 inches deep my raised beds and even that just raising it up sure. that high you get more of the wind that's which is also good for plants because they need that air yeah, moving yeah. but you also need to protect it from blowing over yeah right so <clears throat> i don't plant my tomatoes in a raised bed but um our our friend harvey hess was telling me and he doesn't plant his in a raised bed I either do. but he 
gets even with the uh, and he's got uh, tomato cages that aren't those cheap cheapies that just fall over and he has to take uh, these uh, uh, cane poles and he anchors the the cage in with that on each side because uh, I've had to do that too where I've yeah. had to anchor them with other poles because sure. you know usually the tomato cages have little wires that go down I don't know six inches or so and that needs sure. to be deeper we yeah. got another co- um, question from a listener and this is a good comment from Jack he says why do I not hear about these jumping worms as a threat to farm fields or are they well this is the reason why it's generally more likely with gardeners is because gardeners are bringing in compost gardeners are bringing in potting media and mulch from elsewhere and chances are you're not doing that on your your field so that's probably why it's not I mean they can be there but not as likely so if you are going to get compost or potting media or mulch (coughs) make sure it's from a reputable dealer that guarantees weed free material first of all and then uh, make sure they, you know, ask them what the process is. And, you know, I have worked with or talked with some contractors for quotes. I've mentioned jumping worms. They don't even know what they, yeah. they've never heard of them. Yeah. And that's the kind you say, uh-uh, no, go away, bye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, farmers really are pretty up to date on on invasive things like this. And that's why they use pre-emergence. I would imagine that a pre-emergent put on these eggs would kill the eggs or at the time that they were emerging, it would it would kill the the bug. So that's you know they use pre-emergence all the time, and and to watch for that. And another thing that they advise if you so let's say you're a farmer, you've got a big farm, but you're also landscaping on your home, you know, around your house. Sure. They said so if your home is on the same location as your farm, make sure you manage your home landscaping so you prevent the introduction of those jumping worms and particularly be careful about trading perennial plants with others as those cocoons and worms may be present in the soil or the plant roots even and once once they're introduced to a property (coughs) the jumping worms can move surprisingly quickly across the property and it is 130 degrees fahrenheit at which the worms uh, and worm eggs will die. So, oh, yeah. And you know, the a good source is University of Minnesota. If, yes, and exactly. so hopefully, Jack, that <clears throat> that you know you <laughs> you're managing your if you've got farm property. So hopefully they don't come to you. And that's why they're not so prominent in the farm fields. Yeah. You know, the the thing is with gardening, with anything to do with horticulture here, uh, the way we did things before just doesn't work now because we have these new threats all the time. Right. And they're really serious threats too. Can you imagine if you were a farmer and you had something like this get into your crops? Oh my gosh. And how would you clean off your equipment uh, before you took it out in the field so that you didn't drag these uh, jumping worms into the field, their eggs are, right. or whatever, you know. That and then will... if you use a pressure washer on your driveway, <coughs> you know, the water with the coupons. Oh, yeah. So it, it's a really, it's really it certainly is. Hey, you want to hear something news of the weird? Um, I just, I get such a kick out of uh, our, uh, we have a, uh, yard and Garden newsletter every month, and this month it was written by Lynn Kitterer. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lynn is just, she's just a really sweet person, and she said, uh, we've talked, I've talked to her several times about her gardening efforts and that, and, and uh, she's just about ready to give up, and then she starts again. <laughs> but she says that in 2005, or it could have been 2006, she 
planted. She had some roses, and she wanted to plant the David Austin uh, Winchester Cathedral shrub roses, which she did. She planted two, and the color was white. And um, they did really well mm-hmm. until the spring of 2021. And now remember, this was a drought year. Right. Uh, all of a sudden, these two roses, instead of blooming white, uh, one had red roses on it on some of the branches, and the other, David Austin, had a pink rose bloom on one of the branches. And she said, uh, this just really shocked her. She was just surprised that well, this is that happened. from stress? And I mean, because are they on rootstock usually? No. And and this and she had the, she had researched and she actually had the answer. Thank oh, you. Okay. Uh, so it, they actually are planted on their own roots. They're not planted on rootstock. Yeah, because most of the David Austin I read that are on their own yeah, roots. R- yeah, exactly. So what happened here was that uh, the white roses reverted back to their dominant genes. So oh. so they, they they then went back to rose and they went back to red. Really? And so <clears throat> that very often is a response to something like um, a drought. Stressors. We had drought conditions and it's trying to struggle to survive. And this is, so it reverts back to that. And then you get, uh, when it does that, you get suckers coming up uh, pro, on the, they don't call them suckers. They call them. Uh, uh, don't they suckers? Well, they are suckers. I think of them as suckers. But um, you you get these little things that come up, and they and that's how you like get. additional little plants growing. Yeah, farther it's from the on. Yeah, yeah, right. So that was strong enough, and then that evolved. Well, <clears throat> I was telling my son about this in Alaska, and he said, you know, I think my Oriental lilies. Um, he said the, uh, the oriental lily for him is the last of the lilies to bloom. Yes, they're the it latest. Is, it is for me too. But his don't bloom until September, Oh, which isn't very long. And he said traditionally, <clears throat> and, and it's in Alaska, they don't get a lot of sunlight. Oh, they've got such a short they, season. <laughs> they get they get natural light, but they don't get sunlight because he's surrounded by the Chugach Mountains on four okay. sides. So... Anyway, this plant comes up, and it gets leaves. It looks great, and it will develop a bud on it. But that bud will not open up until finally, late in September, they get a day, and it's about 60 degrees, and there's full sunlight. And even with two hours of sunlight, that bud opens up. So then... Uh, you know, usually after that, after the uh, lily does that, it starts storing food up for the next year. But he said, then the frost comes and kills the plant, so it really doesn't have time to make additional food. But that plant must, in that season when it doesn't get enough energy for the bud to open up, it must be storing food within the bulb itself for the following year. So, you know, plants have strategies to survive. That that that's that's what they're what they're all about. So I said well, I said that that's really amazing. You know, and one of the other things that uh uh Lynn Kidder brought up was that same season her coneflower 
which was normally white and the favorite, she said, of Japanese beetles, that came up and it was reverted back to that pinky, mauvey color. And you know what? That is that is because it's so hybridized. And the, what she got was the seeds and the, the hybridized one didn't make it. And that happened. I had Cheyenne, this Cheyenne series, and there was a beautiful orange. It was only beautifully orange the first year. After that, it reverted back to that original rose color. So those things happen. Do you know something else that reverts sometimes are hostas? You know, you, the real <coughs> desirable are the streak tosses. People like those cool streaks and things. Mm-hmm. But because of the way they're hybridized and, and they sometimes, the, the genetics, will they'll have parts of them will revert back to like a plain, just plain green. Mm-hmm. And so that happens with them too. And so how <coughs> do you, because, you know, some of them, the striped or uh, ones with the variegations are very expensive. So they say, well, what, what happens if it starts to revert back? They say, dig the entire thing up and pick the roots apart and pick the actually pick the green segments out like mm-hmm. fr- at, from the root level. And then, right. but I mean, so it's a lot of work if you want to maintain it. And I've got one, I think that's reverting. And I'm like, you know what? Do I really want to go through all that trouble? Right, right. Yeah. I have one that is planted close to the back of my garage. And it was there when we bought that house many, many, many years ago, it was the only hosta, was the only plant uh, like that on the property. And eventually, all the white left it and it became green. But you know what? When it became its original back to the green, it's twice the size of when it was green and really? white. Yeah, because so. it must be just something in the genetics that... Sure. Yeah, so... I have something to show you. Okay. Okay. I want to hand you this. And our, our listeners can't see it, but what she's handing me is a piece of paper with something green on it. Yeah. What do you think that is? Let me is? smell it. Um, well, it looks like ferny leaves. It, the leaves are ferny. It almost looks like it could be uh, a fern. Uh, is it the leaves of some sort of a dicentra or something? It actually happens to be Dutchman's Britches. Oh, You know, okay. last week you asked me to describe it, and I said, yeah. well, it had ferny leaves, and I and it's really such a fine, delicate-looking plant, and when you get the blooms on it, uh, they don't last long. So I, I start checking for that in my garden. There's nothing up now, of course, but because they can bloom and, and they can be done blooming before it, it comes to your attention. You don't really see it unless it's right out front of your garden. And, and you know, when you get something like this really fine, delicate, feathery kind of leaves, it really adds to the texture in the garden. So it's nice to it. have that mix. And it will, if you provide... Uh, if it's getting uh, adequate light and um, and if it's uh, good soil, it multiplies. So even though you get smaller blooms, you'll have a bigger clump, and then you'll be able to see it. But when you start out with just one, um, it's very hard to yeah. see. Now, I've been looking for bleeding hearts, too, because they're very early. Well, now, my tulips are up, and so my daffodils and my naked ladies. And last night, I took my deer defeats my yes, pellet yeah. and I went around the gardens and sprayed everything that was up there you know they're about up a couple three sure, inches or sure. so because yeah. I, the deal is get that spray on before they sure. find the buffet because then then if they're repelled right away they won't probably come back but if you wait oh, until after they've had that taste 
they're going to come back. Right. I counted in this raised bed that I have that's my foundation planting. When I took out the shrubs last year, I have 81 different types of daffodils that oh are up. Goodness. And they're about uh, about four inches, maybe five inches tall. And uh, that's in the front yard. That's where there's full sunlight, close to the house, getting protected from the wind. I would say the best conditions on the north side of the house in the back where they get the east, the morning sun, mm -hmm. and then they get the west coming down late in the afternoon. Uh, they're just barely up and they're much, much smaller. So uh, location makes a big difference. And it's still too early to get out in the garden? Oh, it is. Just so people are, I know it's going to be 50 something, and it's going to be 70 next week. You think, well, I should plant. It's the soil temperature that makes this matters. Yeah, it's everything, right. Yeah. If you can sit on the edge of your garden and cut off some of those things, those long things that you left in, yeah, like maybe the messy your flocks or things like that, you can clean up a little bit, but don't get out and walk on it. Yeah, you'll compact it. You don't want to do that. Thanks, Barb. It's always, we're out of time, unfortunately. And, oh. and thanks for listeners for sending your questions. You can always send them. And if we didn't get to them today, send them and uh, we'll get to them next week. Thanks, Barb. Yep. Thank All you, right, Karen. Bye -bye. Thanks. Thanks from me too, to our listeners. All right. We love hearing about.